Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Today's guest is Joe Stone, and Joe is a beast. He's a quadriplegic from the USA, and he's also a guy who's not afraid to try bold things. Top of that list was, of course, an attempt to become the first quadriplegic to complete a full Ironman, and his latest mission is learning to fly again. Welcome to the show, Joe. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. So yeah, thanks for reaching out about it. Hey, so Joe, just to set the scene, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up spending your life using a wheelchair. I was speed flying in Missoula, Montana on August 13th of 2010. And I got really, you know, I kind of got really drunk on the adrenaline side of speed flying and the fact that there was nobody else watching over me. And so I had this sense of true freedom to do as much or as little as I wanted. And unfortunately I was trying to bite off a lot more than I could chew with my skill set. So I was, I was up about 150, 200 feet and I was teaching myself how to do barrel rolls. So you're in a sense, you know, you're flying something that looks for anybody that doesn't know you're flying something that looks more or less like a skydiving parachute, a smaller one, a more advanced one, but a skydiving parachute. And you're almost doing like a flip over top of it. I watched some YouTube videos and things like that and thought I could teach myself how to do it. And um, couldn't have been more wrong. It was just such an, you know, looking back at it now, it's such an eye opener how important it is to have a good mentor and instructor in your life for a number of different areas. That's a life lesson for sure I learned. But uh, in this case, you know, the outcome wasn't good because I, after about a week of doing these maneuvers, I finally made the right combination of mistakes and that uh, collapsed part of my wing created line twists and I spiraled down and smashed into the mountain um, pretty hard. If I had to guess, probably around 50 miles an hour something like that. Uh, but needless to say, very hard. Uh, I got very lucky and there was a man, I was flying alone that day and there's one, one guy with his friend there who are close to me. Um, not only were they close to me, he was also the only one with a cell phone on him that was hiking around the mountain that day. And he was a trained DMT. So he ran my direction and called for emergency services and then did everything he knew to do to, to help keep me alive until they were able to gather and get up on the mountain and get me off. So you're lucky, man. Yeah, super lucky. Um, um, the stars were aligned that day for sure. Um, I mean, cause if you think about it, the impact was, was bad, but I broke four ribs. I had a laceration to my liver. I had the impact itself really messed up my heartbeat. And so my heart kind of for a while, this, this continued for, uh, a month and a half or so where my heart really didn't know uh, when to speed up and slow down and, and all of that. It was very confused from the impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, I badly bruised both my lungs. That was the most life-threatening part of it was mm-hmm. how I, I was for, they, from what I was told for about the first seven days, my body was only absorbing about 51% of the oxygen it needed while being on a ventilator that was pumping in a hundred percent oxygen. Whereas in the, you know, in the atmosphere right now, we're breathing around 21% oxygen, but getting everything we need out of every breath. So that wow. lungs were really messed up. And then I broke eight vertebrae throughout my neck and back with spinal cord damage at the C7 level. So that was the list of injuries and, you know, a little bit of a description of, of how the impact really affected my body. And so got to uh, the ER a couple of days into it. They realized they needed to put me into an induced coma to allow my body to calm down. They originally thought that was just going to be a couple, two, three days. 
that turned into almost a full month. Within that, my heart stopped twice. Uh, a lot of other complications, but they also did my neck surgery, uh, put a feeding tube in, took the stuff they had me intubated with out of my throat or out of my mouth going into my throat and actually put a trach in for a ventilator, did all of that stuff. So when I woke up, uh, not only did it, it was recognizing the fact that a whole month went by and I, d- I had no recollection of it, but it also was, um, like, whoa, what has happened? Like, I'm like, like they've sliced me up everywhere. I've got tubes going in and out of my body everywhere. What has happened? You know? So you're you one tough dude, man. That is, that is some, <laughs> wow. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky to be alive and I, I fully recognize that. And, um, I try to keep that not too, not too far in the back of my mind when I'm out, um, doing things or especially when motivation seems harder to find, you know, I'm lucky to be here. Um, you know, the, the medical doctors were amazing. The guy on the mountain, the emergency services that got me off of the mountain, uh, if it wasn't for all of them, there's no way I'd be alive. But, you know, the one thing the doctors did tell me, which is another thing I try to remind myself about a lot, especially since I'm still a very active person, um, is they said, you know, if this would have happened to somebody that wasn't in as good a physical shape as I was in then, I was in the best physical shape of my able-bodied life when I had my accident. And, um, and they were like, that kind of impact would have killed most other people. And so I say, I do not say that in a way to like toot my own horn of how good a shape I was in. It's just the importance of no matter your situation of being in as best of physical shape as you could possibly be. Cause you just never know. It's like, to me, it's like buying insurance, right? If you invest in your body, it's going to do you a lot better uh, when things don't go as planned and uh, that stuff can happen in so many different ways, even if you're not a risk taker in any way. So, you know, a lot of us put money towards insurance and savings and retirement and all that. Invest some time in your body so you can be as healthy as possible. Because when you when you need that health, when you really need it, it's going to be when you're down and out. And the healthier you are, the better you're you're going to recover from that. That is some good advice right there. And so, I mean, part of that is is obviously exercise. But I, one thing I've noticed following my spinal cord injury is nutrition and food and and making sure that I'm I'm not overeating, and I'm when I am eating, I'm eating the right foods for for my body, right. So I encourage all the listeners out there to 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 make sure you're looking after yourself. That's that's a fantastic bit of advice there, Joe. Yeah, you know it's really important. For, that, uh, nutrition is huge. That's the other piece of it. The food we put in our body is how healthy our bodies are going to be. So um, you can't just do one or the other. You can't just exercise but eat bad food. You know, I, I about three and a half, four years ago, switched over to a vegan diet. So no milk or no uh, meat, dairy, or eggs at all. That allowed me to get off of all the things I needed to do for it to have a bowel movement. So I'm, other than my uh, one medication I take for my bladder, uh, I don't use any medication at all for my bowels. Uh, I go every other day and I have a very, very consistent routine that almost never fails me. And um, not only did it allow me to get off of the enemas and everything to be able to go to the bathroom, um, but it sped my time up and almost cut my time in the bathroom in half. Awesome. The food we eat important, you know, plant-based diet. I'll, I'll always promote that. I think it's a, a, a great lifestyle and a, um, a, a very healthy lifestyle. So that that's my own personal choice and it's done wonders for my health ever since I switched over to that. That's really good to know. Hey, so, okay, you came out of this coma and, uh, you know, you, you, you strike me as a pretty positive guy, but was there any moment uh, where you were thinking, oh, man, um, you were more focused on, on something that you couldn't do than, than what you could? And if that was the case, how did you, how did you get yourself out of that? 
Yeah, man, that's a, that's another great question. Yeah. In the beginning, I mean, there's like, I, I don't know anybody that doesn't have negative thoughts on that. I'm a pretty positive person and I do my best to find the, the positives or the silver lining within everything that happens in my life. Cause they're there. Sometimes you just got to dig a little deeper to find them. Uh, but in the beginning there, I mean, you got to dig really deep to find them and it takes time, you know? So I don't think the positives really come out right away. At least they didn't for me. So, you know, I, I actually had a really big fear for having a spinal cord injury my whole life, at least my, my, you know, as far back as I can remember if my teenage years, that side of things at least. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, having a spinal cord injury, it just was something that was like, you know, with the sports I'm doing and all of that, like the risk is there. And, oh man, if you, if you couldn't use your legs, like life would just be over. And I had no idea what a spinal cord injury meant. I had no idea the possibilities that lie within it, you know, nothing. I just figured if your legs don't work, life's over. I'd rather be dead. Um, biggest fear. Right. And so when I woke up from the coma, uh, and started realizing what was going on, which, you know, took some time, took a few days to start kind of slowly getting a grasp of the situation I was in. Uh, I mean, I was living my nightmare, right? And I could not believe that I was in it. And so it's on one side, the fear of the unknown. And I don't know what the future is going to look like in my head at that time. If you'd asked me, I would have said, I'm going to spend the rest of my life in a nursing home, 100%, 100 uh, dependent on everybody around me. Um, at 25 years old, that's a heavy thought to be thinking that's going to be the rest of your life, you know? Um, and I, I, I literally thought that that's what I thought the rest of my life was going to be. And, and then on top of it, then I started learning about what a spinal cord injury is. And my whole life, I always thought, oh, you just can't move, you know, your legs or whatever. It's so much more than that. There's so much more complicated than just not being able to move. If all it was actually was just not being able to move a muscle um, a certain muscle, then that actually would be easy. I don't think it'd be, it's all the secondary stuff, the, the no sweating as a quad, the bowel and bladder issues, the sexual function issues, uh, blood pressure issues, you know, the, the body temperature control, all of that. Like when you start combining it all, it just keeps building and building. And as I was learning it in the hospital, it was like, how can there be another thing that that's negatively impacting my body? I, and then, and then on then like five more things would get added in. I'm like, I, like, how does a person even survive this? So in the beginning, it was, um, you know, they were dark days for sure. And I was watching a film called A River Runs Through It, which uh, was a, a film based out of Montana or Missoula, Montana, which is where I had my accident, which is where I found the happiest place I'd been in my my able-bodied life. And um, I found myself, I watched it over and over and over again, right? Like multiple times a day. I don't know why. It's just what what I needed. And the thing with that film is it was really, it was really focusing on the past. It was focusing on the rivers and the fly fishing I did. And, uh, really giving me these like huge wants of things I couldn't have, like being able to stand in the cold, clean water of the rivers in Montana and just feel that, that, uh, water running over my feet while I'm fly fishing and all, you know, just these things that just were unobtainable at the time. But as so a couple months went by, you know, a lot of things happened. I got off the ventilator after about a month of hard work after being awake. So I was on the ventilator for a couple of months, started regaining a little bit of independence. We absolutely couldn't have done any of it without my friends and family. There's no way. I mean, the support was so needed. Uh, and I eventually came across a film called Murder Ball. And I'm sure you've heard of it. And I'm sure a lot yeah. of people listening to this have heard of it. And if you haven't, check it out. It's on YouTube for free. Amazing film. And 
the part about it wasn't so much about rugby for me. I mean, it was cool to see that part of it and see how active these dudes were with quad rugby, but it was more the parts that dug into their lives and how they got back to living a happy life and how they got back to goal setting and how they, how they achieved happiness. You know, they found it, they were able to find it. And so there was this transition where I went from watching a river runs through it, which was all focusing on the past to all of a sudden now I'm watching this new film murder ball and which started out with like tears. Cause it was like, you know, looking in the mirror, you know, more or less and seeing what my life was going to look like. But then, mm. um, but then it started into like studying their movements or how did he transfer? How did he get his pants on? How did he, whatever, pick up that fork, all these little things. And, uh, and then, uh, and that without even, without even knowing it, it was a switch from the looking at the past, looking behind me to now I'm like looking at the future through murder ball and figuring out how to use my body, figuring out how to get more independent and figuring and, and finding that motivation because now I know it's doable. Now I know it's obtainable. It's just, uh, it was up to me at that point, right? There was no reason why I couldn't other than whether or not I wanted to put in the work because I had the support system to make it happen. So uh, I just got really motivated at that point, kind of started tapping into a little bit of, you know, the, the Joe before the accident. And that really started pushing me forward to, you know, searching for something to find happiness. And that's really how you, in the beginning, I, that's what I tell people. You just have to search for something, right? You may not know what it is in the beginning, but just start like doing research, start trying new things, trying new ways to do the old things you used to do. And eventually you're going to find something that's going to like grab you. And if you search long enough, um, hopefully it won't take very long, but if you search long enough, you'll find that. And then you'll find that natural motivation to get after life again. And so, um, I basically told myself in the beginning, I want to get to the one year mark after my injury and be able to look back and have no regrets on how hard I worked over the year, whether there was a, a muscle recovery or not. Just, I just wanted to look back and have no regrets for the work that I put into uh, rediscovering life and getting as healthy as possible. And I think at the end of it, I, I you know, I achieved that at the one year mark for sure. Joe, that is, that is gold. A couple of bits of gold there. That's setting that, you know, that expectation that after one year you're not going to regret, uh, not, you know, not working hard towards that that goal. Um, that is that is just outstanding, man. And uh, I can I can get the sense that you once you had a goal, once you once you're able to see that you could try a few things, and and then you you then discover just by trying to see if you can do the old things you used to be able to do. Uh, or modified ways of it, you'll find something that brings you happiness. I think that's. I think it's a really good tactic to employ for for people out there listening, not just for people that have gone through an accident like we have, but but people in general. If you're not that happy, uh, you know, just get out there and try something new. Uh, and through that through that process, you'll you'll ultimately discover something that uh, that really lights your fire. Yeah, I mean, it's the only way to find it. It's, not, it's you know, it's very rare for for those things to find you. You got to actively look for it. And, you know, like there was, there was a, 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 a critical moment in inpatient rehab for me when I did my very first transfer on my own, right? It was super slow sliding board probably took like 15 movements to get over to the, the bench that I was trying to make my way over to during rehab that day. But I did the whole process on my own, you know, obviously having PT standing around me, guarding me. And when I made my way over and I finally got onto the bench and, and pulled out the sliding board and did it on my own, I was like, whoa. And it just like I had this huge flashback of all the things we had been doing in rehab up to that point 
and how all of those things that we were doing, all those little tiny things, without me knowing it, were building up the skills for the bigger goal, which was to do one independent transfer, right? Mm-hmm. And so that kind of gave me like this vision of, of one, how to set a goal, which is, you know, you find whatever that, if it's a transfer or, you know, taking a shower or a big hand cycle ride or whatever it is you want to do, you know, taking that big goal and then breaking that down into all these little chunks so you can, you know, basically achieve all these little goals along the way that are training you to get to that bigger goal. That's, I'm not, uh, that's not something that I'm not the first to ever discover that that's, that's goal setting 101. But it was my first moment of like, wow, I've, I've been working on a goal the whole time. I just didn't recognize it. And from there it was like, I, I just need to see what I'm working towards. I need to ask the questions to the physical therapist and to whoever or whatever it is I'm trying to do, the people that have more knowledge than me, um, especially in the beginning, because you've got people just telling you what to do and you can't, you don't always connect the dots on why I remember in the beginning of rehab thinking, why am I doing this? What, what is this even for? My life's over. Right. And then once I clicked it, Oh, all that work was for that transfer. Then it was like, mm-hmm. Oh, all of this is so that I can get back to life. And if I know what I'm working towards, it's a lot easier to be motivated to go towards it. So then it was just about identifying why I'm working on these different things. And, uh, and then that gave me the motivation to work hard enough to achieve them. Right. And then from there that turned into recreation and turned into bigger smiles and, um, no hospital days and no, you know, any of that institutionalized care. It's more, um, freedom and getting back to life and living the life I've always wanted to live and wanted to continue living. So what was, uh, you know, when I guess when I first discovered you or heard about, about you, you were on this mission to, to do a triathlon and, you know, obviously hand cycling was a big part of that. And then swimming, the swimming looked absolutely brutal. Um, you know, tell me about, um, you know, the moment you decided you wanted to do that and, and how you actually went about, uh, went about getting into that. Yeah. So, um, I set a goal, uh, about seven months after my injury that I was going to hand cycle to go into the sun road in Glacier National Park. That's about a, it's in Montana in the United States. And it is about a 50 mile road has one section that goes up and over a big mountain pass where for 12 miles, you climb about 2,500 feet, uh, at a 6% grade. And so I wanted to do that before my accident. And now it was like the true unknown. I had no idea what I was capable of doing on a hand cycle. Hadn't even been on a hand cycle, actually, when I, when I set that goal. It was just like I needed something to fix my mind to. And so set that goal, started doing some research, found a hand cycle I could use, trained for three months to, to tell the story in the fastest version. I made it back to Glacier National Park on a tons of ups and downs on learning I don't sweat and how to deal with that. Or on the positive side, learning that I can feel my leg hairs move in the wind while I'm biking. You know, there was tons of positives and negatives that were coming out of it. But most importantly, it made me healthier, stronger, both mentally and physically, and much more independent because now I had something very positive to want to work towards independence for. And when I would learn how to do something on the hand cycle, it'd be like, well, if I could do that on that to make the hand cycle work, I could apply that to other areas in my life. So this whole three month, four month journey was, was a game changer for me. And I made it back one day before the one year anniversary of my accident and hand cycled the road. Uh, most importantly, got up to the top of Logan pass, which that 12 miles took eight and a half hours and got up wow. there. And my mind was just, it was just blown one. It was the whole feeling of achieving something that you, you have no idea if it's possible that that brings its own level of joys and, and level of accomplishment. But what I didn't really realize was going to happen was my mind was just totally opened up and free to the idea of living in this situation. And 
it told me that I that anything I want to do is possible. I, I I just might have to figure out how to do it on my own. It's going to take other people to help me. It might cost more money, whatever. But I learned in that in that those four months that there's grant funding out there for things for people to help people out. Uh, you know, in similar situations, there's you know always ways to find funding. It just might be harder or easier depending on who you are and what you're looking for and what you're trying to accomplish. But there's a way that there's a, that's a problem with a solution. Um, and I, I learned that, you know, I, I can, I can set these bigger goals and actually physically work towards them and get to them. Right. And so I, I that happened. I did it one day before the one year anniversary of my accident. I'm forever going to look at that as something that like, I don't have any idea how I did that in one year to go from a coma, <laughs> to go from a coma C7 quad, like no muscles on my body. Uh, when I woke up, lost about 35 pounds of, of muscle and to work my way through like the gaining skills to be as, you know, minimally independent as I was at that point, but able to take care of my basic cares with minimal assistance. And then beyond that, get strong enough to hand cycle and to hand cycle that road. I don't know how I did it, but I just stayed focused and, and just kept telling my, and just kept working at it, you know, and that's all you can do. So that moment I was like, Whoa. And I just started trying all these, I tried whitewater rafting again and got into off-road hand cycling and, and was trying to figure out what's my next goal, what's my next goal. And I kind of learned that no quadriplegic had ever attempted an Ironman. And so, no, let me rephrase that. No wheelchair using quadriplegic. There's a walking quad that did one. Um, but he ran it, biked it, and swam it the same as everybody else. So that was quite a bit different. So I just kind of was like, I've never done triathlon. That's my goal now. Like, I want to do something that's, like, hopefully going to open something up and get more people wanting to try it, you know? And so same thing. I didn't have any of the gear. I didn't have any money for it. I didn't have, um, I think that's one point I really want to get across from this is I, I'm not a rich guy and I didn't have a bunch of money. And it, this wasn't like, I had to find sponsors and find grant funding and do a little fundraising. And like, I had to scrape for it. It wasn't something that just was handed to me, but over a lot of hard work over maybe a year or two, I was able to get the hand cycle I needed, the racing wheelchair and an adapted wetsuit that allowed me to swim really well. And Tell us a bit about that adaptive wetsuit, Joe, because that's, uh, I mean, that's something that I, I got back into surfing and, uh, and I found my wetsuit was a real uh, difficult to get on. So what did you have to do to, to adapt your wetsuit? The wetsuit was specially designed by a company called Eco Hydro Suit. And if you Google it, you can probably still find it. If you'll for sure find a video that I put out there through uh, my YouTube channels, the Joe Stone Foundation. So there's, if you go far down in those videos, it's one of the earlier ones that I posted, but the suit's called Eco Hydro Suit. The video will really give you a visual, but essentially it's one big leg instead of two individual legs. You zip it on the front instead of on the back and you zip from your ankles all the way up to your chest. So you get your legs in the middle and you kind of fold yourself into it or, or, or wrap it around your legs, I guess, and, and zip it all the way up to your chest. And... From there, it's sleeveless. That's the only way they made them was sleeveless. And it also had a piece of plastic that went from the top of your hips down to maybe the middle of your calf, a little bit lower than that. So while you swim, it keeps your legs totally straight. Um, it, it was great. I got this thing. And I, I mean, I, my physical therapist that was helping me out with swimming in outpatient therapy, when I got into a pool, she had told me she'd been doing that for about a decade. And my body sinks more than any person she's ever seen with a spinal cord injury so i um just to paint a picture i look like i'm drowning when i don't have any flotation devices there's just like no way my body just sinks and i put the suit on which i was able to do independently 
and got into a pool on my own. It wasn't that hard. You'll see how I do it if you check out that video. And yeah, I got into the pool and started swimming and it took some laps to, to figure it out, right? But I'll, I'll never forget the first, the, just the first distance I swam. I just swam to the other end of the pool. And yeah, it was sloppy and all that, but it was so much better than I had before. And I got to the other end and just started laughing. I was like, I, I'm going to be able to swim very well with this thing. And the next lap got better and better and better. And then, you know, anything over time, if you practice enough um, and do some research and get some advice from other people, you'll, you'll hone in on how to do things um, the most efficient and the cleanest looking way or whatever, the smoothest way you can make it happen. And so I became a, a good swimmer um, because of this suit. Now, the downside to the suit is because it, it's one big leg, it allows water to flow through it. And so you're always getting new water being introduced to underneath uh, where with a regular wetsuit that traps water in it mm. will heat up to your body temperature and actually help keep you warm. That's why a lot of people like to pee in their wetsuits while they're swimming, because if they're cold, it'll, it'll actually warm up and stay warm for a while being insulated by the, the wetsuit. So for this one, it, it just, water was always going through it. So that became, uh, something that during the Ironman race itself, that was one of the downfalls to the suit that really affected me in a, in a really negative way on my swim. Uh, but if you're looking to just, you know, do either swimming in warmer water or not being exposed for hours in the water, it's nothing like that, but you want to go to a pool and, and burn some laps or go swim for 30, 45 minutes in open water, or whatever. It's an amazing wetsuit. And so if you can't buy them anymore, the company doesn't, they don't sell them anymore. But if you see the way it's designed, you might be able to get connected with Diane through the website, who was the uh, owner of that company, and, and maybe find a way to get a seamstress and stuff put together to, to build your own. It's not that complicated, but it was, it's, a, it's a great design. Uh, David Lee used it. He helped create it. He's a, he's a total badass athlete, and uh, he was, he's done a bunch of Ironmans, and he tried to do Ironman Canada and missed the bike cutoff, but it was mostly because his swim was a little too slow. Mm -hmm. And they went back to the drawing board and built this websuit. And he went back there the following year or, or year after that and, and became the first wheelchair user to do um, Ironman Canada on that course. So, yeah, it's a great suit. Um, has its downfalls, but everything does, right? It's pros and cons to everything. Awesome. Hey, Joe, just tell me his name again. Eco Hydro Suit. And, and the, guy that, uh, the guy that did the Canadian uh, the course? Oh, David Lee. David Lee. Okay, cool. I'm going to look him up because that sounds really interesting. There's some videos on him. He's another dude you might want to interview for a podcast. Um, he was a huge inspiration to me, and uh, and he probably doesn't even know that. You know what I mean? It was just from seeing his videos and what his accomplishments were and um, how hard he charged it. He had a spinal cord injury and a TBI. And, uh, man, that guy, he, um, he gets after it more than most, for sure. Well, hey, so listen, you, you know, for, for those that are listening and haven't seen uh, Joe's film, so what it's raining, can can we still get hold of that? Can we still watch that, Joe? Is that is that available? Yeah, it is and it isn't. Um, so first, the, the title is "It's Raining." So what? Uh, um, so yeah, no, no worries. Uh, so it's raining. So what? You can go to it's raining. So what? dot com. That's going to be your best option, and then you can um, you can either sign up with your email. You can send a message to Kevin May, the producer. We are currently in the middle of figuring out what we're going to uh, finally do with it. We, we, 
our goal from the beginning with this film wasn't so much the film festival circuits or gaining as much exposure as it can possibly get just by the general public. I was really inspired to want to create a film uh, because of Murderball. And my whole goal was if I can get this into rehab hospitals and get people to see this film earlier on in their injuries, then um, hopefully, you know, it'll change somebody's perspective the way Murderball did mine because it was a total game changer for me. And so my, and at the very beginning, I was like, if it does that for one other person, we've, it's a hundred percent successful and mm-hmm. all the hard work is totally worth it. And so it's in a few hospitals now, uh, when I travel, I'm a public speaker. And so when I go to different areas that have rehab hospitals, I take an extra day or two to go, um, give a presentation for people with disabilities that are living in that local area or in that hospital and give out copies of the DVDs and give the hospital some to have on hand so they can show them so that people can watch them. Uh, if they want to watch them while they're in the hospital. So um, that's the kind of the main thing I've been personally doing with it. And I, I sell them during my speaking gigs and that's all uh, to raise money for the Joe Stone Foundation, which is 100% volunteer. So if you buy one, it's going to be money that goes directly to the Joe Stone Foundation, which is helping us further our mission of bridging the gap between the disabled and able-bodied communities through outdoor recreation. And that is a cause that I'm, you know, I hold close to my heart and I love that it's a hundred percent volunteer. And so, um, you know, every little bit goes a really long way with what we're trying to accomplish. So if, if you go to it's raining, so what.com to, to, to answer your question, that will be your best way to be able to get a hold of a copy of the DVD. And then sooner than later, we're going to figure out how we get it online or what platform we need to do it on and how that's going to look and work. But we're just not quite there yet with, we're just a little bogged down with a lot of other things going on at the moment. Oh, well, we'll make sure that we, uh, that we share that, uh, that detail when it becomes available. So I want to yeah. move on from, I want to move on from that period of your life and, and bring it up to a more current point of view where you're, uh, you're flying again. And, uh, I'm really interested in, in the adaptions you've made to, to enable you to do that and, and that process. So, um, yeah, what, uh, what, what, what? First of all, what? Uh, how did you begin that, Joe? How did you get back, uh, back into the idea of flying again? Yeah, so flying is is and was on my mind every single day. Um, I thought about it all day long. I dreamt about it at night, literally. Like that's that's how much flying means to me, and how uh, big of a deal or big of a part of my life it is. And so, after about four years. Um, I just kind of, you know, sat back and I did the triathlon thing. I tried a lot of other different outdoor recreation activities. Um, nothing was really grabbing me like flying ever did. And I wanted that, I wanted that feeling and that passion for life again. And so I found out about project airtime through Chris Santa Croce, who's the founder of it. He sent me a message one day over Facebook and was just like, Hey man, I dig what you're doing. I just want to let you know we're here and we're here to help you paraglide if you ever want to get back at it. So just, just so you know, we're here and we'd love to support if we can. So he planted the seed and I started thinking about more and more. And, uh, you know, through some, uh, a good buddy of mine, actually, I sat and had lunch with him. He's a really good pilot. And he, you know, I was telling him how much I wanted to fly again. And he was like, I totally get it. You know, if I was in your situation too, I don't think I'd, I don't think the passion for flying would leave. And he's like, I think you should do it. I was like, all right, I think I'm going to do it, but I didn't set a date. Right. I just was like, I'm going to do it. And a couple weeks went by and I was getting done with the off-road hand cycle ride that I was doing by myself. And I was loading my gear up into my car and same dude comes down from a trail run. Hey, Joe, you done anything to get back into flying yet? 
And this is a guy I really respect and, and uh, he's a really motivated individual. And I was just like, in my head, I was like, man, I got to tell this guy right now that I haven't done anything to move towards this goal of this whole, like this whole lunch we had. That's all I talked about. And, uh, so I was like, <laughs> Nope, I haven't, but you know what? I'm going to go home and set the date tonight. And I went home and I was like, that's just, that's just what sometimes what, all you got to do is you just got to put it on paper, you know? So I contacted Chris, it's like, I want to come out these dates. And he was like, we'll be here. And I was like, cool. It's on the calendar. Um, you know, I'll, I'll fully admit the hardest part in all of that for me, uh, was telling my mom about the fact that I was going to get back into flying for me personally, there wasn't a lot of fear. There wasn't a lot of, um, you know, of, there wasn't, there just wasn't a lot. I knew it's what I wanted to do. And I knew I was going to be a better pilot because of what I had gone through. I was going to make better decisions and I was going to be safer and I was going to learn from the right people and, uh, listen to more knowledgeable people instead of being kind of an ego filled 25 year old dude that just thought he could do it all on his own. And so my, my mindset had changed in a lot of ways in the way that I approached life. And so I knew I was going to be a safer pilot and got out there. I went down to Salt Lake city, Utah and, and yeah, we just, we just started it up. It started with a couple of tandems. They already had the trike for me to sit on and use. Uh, they can do both tandems and you can solo fly from this trike. So it's a company called backbone. And if you search them, you should be able to find them through a Google search. I want to say they're out of they're either France or Germany. I get those two mixed up for this purpose, but um, either way, you can find them online, Backbone, and they're especially built for this. You know, we didn't really do anything custom to it. We we made a couple adjustments to it and changed a couple things to just uh, be a little bit better for the style of flying and what I'm trying to do. But but the company exists. The gear is there. Um, the chair is about thirty seven hundred dollars. That included the harness. And it's three wheels. It's a trike with it's 20 inch wheels in the rear and uh, a smaller diameter, but a much fatter wheel in the front. Uh, the suspension on it is genius in my mind. Um, it's just elastic bands uh, over two pieces of moving metal that are jointed mm. together. And at first I was like, oh man, that could be so much better. You put up Fox shocks on it or whatever and get real mountain bike equipment in there. Uh, what I've learned over the years with it, it was like, this is genius. One, it's super lightweight. It works really well. I've, I've had some harder landings and it's totally taken care of me and those needs. And it's really lightweight. And if I'm traveling in another country where I don't have access to a mountain bike shop to fix a mountain bike shock, if I broke it, mm. it's pretty easy to find elastic bands and things like that to at least get it working well to finish out whatever project you're working on and get home and get the right stuff to fix it properly. But you can, you can, you can jerry rig that a lot of ways, you know, to make that work. Whereas other other setups might be a little more challenging. So it's 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 awesome. When I first got in this chair, I, I won't lie at all. I was like, when I get my own, I'm gonna custom build it. I'm gonna do all these things differently. I'm gonna simplify this design. I'm gonna add all these grand plans. And I started flying it, and I'm like, why? This thing's amazing. It, it why why start new? I mean, I'll build some other stuff as time goes on for some different styles of flying. But in terms of getting started and really wanting to like i haven't found any limitations with it yet and we've been doing some big mountain flights and um starting to get into cross country and starting to kind of throw the wing around a little more and and learn maneuvers slowly and really easing into it but um you know like i've i haven't found one thing yet that i can't do with this chair in in the flying world and so that's kind of my my goal at this point is just like well, let's keep progressing and see if we can find that limit if it even exists uh because right now i don't see it 
Hey, so what about the hand controls, Joe? How does how does that work for you? And just describe your mobility, your upper arm mobility. Yeah, so to, so to give an example or to give you a de- uh, um, description as to my physical situation, I'm, I'm an incomplete C7 quadriplegic. I'm paralyzed from the chest down. I do have my lats. I do have some function, my quadratus lumborum, which allows you to hike your hip up a little bit, and a couple small muscles in my lower back. Um, so I have some trunk muscles that have come back, but to to further that, I cannot really sit without a backrest. I need a little bit higher of a backrest on my chair than a you know lower level paraplegic. Uh, if I'm sitting without a backrest, I'm very hunched over and I have a different center of gravity than anybody else. So yes, I have some muscles that are there and they do help a little bit in the flying side of things, but they're not very functional in everyday life. Um, so just want to paint a picture of what my trunk control is like. And then from there, I have full function in my arms, full function in my chest. My hands are affected. I have zero grip in my left hand. Uh, I can open my fingers to some degree. I have a little bit of strength in opening them, but not a lot. I cannot close my fist at all. And in my right hand, I got lucky. I regained a lot of function, but the dexterity is is much more challenging now. Uh, But I do have decent grip as long as my hand's warm. As soon as my hand gets cold at all, uh, I, I pretty much lose all the function in it. It's really hard to get anything done. But so while I'm flying, I don't need any grip solution for my right hand, but I do for my left because I have zero. I can't close my hand at all. And tenodesis doesn't work for me. It's, it's, it just isn't there. And mm. so I actually just went and bought a hook that wraps around your wrist that's built for weightlifting. And the one that I bought is really challenging to find now um, in this style. So uh, it's something that I'll always rebuild if I lose it or something because they don't make them like this anymore. But basically, mm. it's 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 a metal hook that's the 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 metal starts at your wrist and there's like a little T bar. So there's part of it that goes the width of your wrist and then the metal hook that's about an inch wide goes up through the middle of your hand and then right at about where uh, your fingers start, it it hooks its way out. And so that's what people use to like pull ups or things like that to assist in in their grip. Um, the fact that this has metal that goes all the way to my wrist is what makes this one so unique because I can point that thing in any direction and I know exactly where it's going to go. They make them now where there's a gap between what wraps around your wrist and the metal. And so it's just loose fabric. And so the hook kind of flops around more. Uh, I think for, for weightlifting, it probably makes more sense that way for what I'm doing when I go to want to hook my toggle or my brake so that I can steer. Take my, I, I can't, uh, that piece wants to flop around. It's not predictable at that point. So I need that fixed piece to where when I point it, it's just there. It doesn't flop anywhere. So I use that hook. Um, if that description is able to be understood, um, I use that hook. It's around my wrist, and that's how I hook into the to my left toggle so I can steer and brake and manage the wing with my left side. But other than that, you know, the, there's a little bit of dump in the harness, just like, you know, our wheelchairs have a little bit of dump in them where our butt's a little bit lower than our knees. Uh, the harness itself provides quite a bit of support in the back. Um, but not too much to where I can't lean left to right with the use of, with some help with my elbows being leaned against part of the frame to uh, weight shift and steer by weight shifting and not just pulling on, um, the lines to steer. And yeah, so, and I'm, and I'm getting better at all of that. So these are things that I'm constantly working on. Uh, weight shifting has come a long way from when I first started, when I first started, I couldn't really do it. And so, um, I've, I've done some training in the gym to strengthen the muscles I do have in my trunk 
which have gotten a little bit stronger and allowed me to, and I've just dialed in on a technique that seems to work really well with the chair. And it's just taken years of practice, you know, to, to figure out how to become a more efficient and better and safer pilot. And so um, finding Project Airtime to be able to mentor me through all of that and continuing today was, was you know, that was, um, man, I owe those guys. It's, it's amazing what those guys have done for me over the years and how much they've helped with get me, getting me to where I am today without them. Uh, it's not that I wouldn't have been able to figure out paragliding again, but it would have been a lot harder. And so now they've got tons of information. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do is help share some of that and and make it more known. My goal is to see that be normal, that people with disabilities fly. Uh, I think it's the best sport for a person with a disability, a wheelchair user. Um, I can't. I haven't found anything that's more inclusive and that just makes sense in the way that flying does as a wheelchair user. When I was about, I don't know, I was probably three months out of uh, out of hospital. A friend of mine took me on a tandem paraglide, and uh, you know, I spent a lot of years climbing mountains, and and I thought I'd never get get close to the mountains again. And flying gave me that feeling. It actually, gave me that feeling of being being right in the mountains. You know, just a different, um, again, a different perspective. And and when I hit the ground, uh, you know, when we landed, I shouldn't say hit the ground. When I, when we landed, I had so much adrenaline in my my body. I was just I was just in the best place. You know, it was, it was, I wanted to party at the ground, and I was like, yeah, let's party. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> it, so it's great. It, it's so much fun. It's such you know when you get in the air. And the water can be very similar to this if you if you kayak or do you know any kind of paddling or whatever it is you do. The water I found I found it similar on the water, um, only not quite as as inclusive as what it's like in the air. But once we're in the air, you know I need help getting off the ground. But once I get in the air, there's no there's nothing separating me between me you know me and everybody else that's flying. There's no separation there, and at that point it's just skills and experience. So any, you know, you can, anybody can gain skills and can gain experience. You just have to put in the time to get there. You know, there's no difference in speeds. There's no difference in, in really anything. I mean, I have to do things a little bit different and I take off and I land a little bit different, but when I'm flying around and I'm with my buddies and we're all flying together, there's, I mean, there, there's nothing separating us. And that's, that's a very challenging thing to find after you have a spinal cord injury. And that's the only sport that I've been able to find that that you can go and do and literally just be like on the same level as everybody else around you who don't have a disability. And that's that inclusion part that I love so much about it is is the disability disappears both for me personally while I'm flying. I'm not thinking about it. I'm thinking about flying, right? And I'm not thinking about how my disability is holding me back because it's not holding me back. I'm right with everybody else. And, and also it just builds that community in that way. The paraglide community is 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 one of the more support, supportive and um, accepting communities I've ever come across, and you know when you when you find a community like that that fits into your lifestyle, it's like you don't really want to let go of it. You just found friends for life, you know, and you just continue to meet friends for life, and it's um it's it's you know it's hard to find another word other than it's a magical experience. Like it, the whole process is is just very unique. And even if all you do is a tandem, tandems are amazing. If that's all you want, that one lifetime experience, go do it, right? And you're going to remember it the rest of your life. I guarantee that. And, other, and if you want to learn how to, how to get further into it, it's, it's uh, right now in, endless as far as how you can take it or how far you can take it. So 
Yeah, we just need more people. There's not many of us around the world doing it right now. We need to get we need to get more people, you know, getting into it. Oh, that's so good. Well, what I'll endeavour to do is uh, put some links in an article that I write on the on the backside of this podcast, and we'll share some uh, some more information. Um, hey, Joe. So, uh, what does the future hold for you? What are your What are your ambitions uh, for, for the years years ahead? Yeah, I'm. You know, right now is an interesting time in my life. I'm kind of starting a whole new chapter of doing things quite a bit different. So I've moved out of my home in Missoula and put a bunch of stuff in storage. And uh, I'm living on the road permanently right now. So I've got my little 5 by 10 hiker trailer. Another thing that um, if anybody ever wants to get in contact with me, which feel free to put all my social media stuff and whatever email and everything in the article you put out on this. Um, cause if anybody wants to reach out and talk more about any of this, I'd love to be a resource and answer any of these questions. But I have this hiker trailer that I had them do it a little bit more custom that works for me as a chair user and five by 10 and you can't stand up in it. If I had the ability, you know, it's not there. It's very small and just a little tiny box, but it works really well. The inside of it's pretty much just a bed. And uh, I've got a little three by five foot area at the front, this linoleum that I can cook on or go to the bathroom there or use it for whatever I need to use it for. So I've got this little camper. I've got my, my truck in the back of my truck. I've got my flying gear. I've got my off-road hand cycle and I've got my boat for the rivers. So I'm kind of on this mission of water, dirt, and air for the next year or two. And I'm just going to be chasing that mostly air, but when it's not good air, then I'll be hitting the dirt and hitting the water and trying to meet new people along the way, trying to uh, meet other people that are just doing really cool things, whether they have a disability or not, that doesn't matter to me. I just, I just think there's a lot of unique people out there chasing their dreams and outdoor adventure. And yeah, so I'm going to be traveling quite a bit around the United States, around the Western side of the United States. And then hopefully even more Colombia, uh, via Mexico. I'd like to get over to Europe, New Zealand someday. I've got a long list of places I want to go fly. So that's awesome. on a personal, a personal level. That's like the fun I'm trying to have. Um, within that I can do my job as a public speaker from the road. So I'm going to be doing more to build my website better and, and get that turned into a, a, um, more of a career than it is right now. And then we've got work we're doing on the foundation. So we've got our biggest event coming up next weekend. That is the Idaho rendezvous and it's a big mountain bike festival. And there'll be probably in between 20 and 30 athletes with disabilities. It'll show up and there'll probably be in between six and 700 other athletes without disabilities out on the mountain riding mountain bikes. So we'll be doing downhill rides, cross country. We've got clinics going on for people. Some of them are group rides. Some of them I do one-on-one stuff with people so that if they want uh, kind of that level, that one-on-one training. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And um, we're starting to plan a, a similar project for paragliding in Horseshoe Bend, Idaho, at an amazing flight park there where they already have a flying chair to do tandems, where we want to do a, a fly-in or a, a paragliding festival uh, that is totally inclusive and welcomes everybody. And we'll be doing tandems for people with disabilities. Hopefully other people with disabilities that are solo pilots will be there. And that's a project for next summer, but we're starting to plan that now. So, you know, the next year or two um, is I'm hoping to be nothing but adventure and kind of discovering a lot about myself and, um, and furthering all the same stuff that I've been working on for years, just trying to take it all a little bit further and just keep progressing in those, in those three or four areas of uh, my life that I care about so much. Jay, that sounds fantastic. Well, listen, where can people find out more about about you and the foundation and uh, and what what the plan is ahead? Just uh, just give us a wee link. Yeah, so if you go to meetjoestone.com, 
M-E-E-T, Joe Stone. Dot com. That is um, an outdated site that I'm currently redesigning. So, um, so that will be updated in the near future, but it's just not there yet. But you can find all the information there on the film, on the foundation. Uh, it has more information. It looks more like I'm a triathlete because I was in my Ironman days and not so much on the stuff that I'm doing now, which is why I need to update it. But social media is the other side of that. So, uh, you know, send me a friend request on Facebook, if you'd like. I've also got like a public figure athlete page. Uh, give that a like. Um, there's different information on both of those. So I'd suggest sending me a friend request and giving the other one a like. And the Joe Stone Foundation itself has its own its own page. So social media, that's the Facebook world. Otherwise, Twitter and Instagram, it's at Meet Joe Stone. And any one of those, that's a lot of things, but we all follow social media and all of that. So um, find me in any one or all of those outlets and you can get a hold of me through them. You can send me emails through them, messages over social media, whatever. And I'm an open book. I'd love to help or answer any questions or just simply get to know and chat with other people. So yeah, those are the, those are the best ways. Social media is where you're going to find the most new information. So good, Joe. Thanks so much for sharing your, your story and man, for passing it forward and paying it forward to, to others that, uh, that were where you were back in the day. And, uh, Together we can increase freedom for, for people that, uh, that need it more than anything. So, yeah, appreciate your time, mate. And uh, whenever you're down in New Zealand, we will make sure that you're well looked after. Oh, I, I, uh, that will be amazing. I'm, I'm thinking uh, not this winter but the following. So I'll keep you posted on that. And honestly, I, you know, a huge shout-out to you for putting this podcast together, getting me involved in it. I really, um, I'm really thankful that you're, you're doing this because we need more outlets for people to get information like this. Um, if nothing else to, to, to spark something to where they can then have some resources to dig into it deeper and find the solutions they're looking for in life. Um, without all of us collectively working together, none of us are going to go anywhere. So I think teamwork and collaboration is just the way for to see our community grow. And it starts with things like this. So yeah, Mike, thanks a lot for inviting me on your show and having me be a part of this and, and for do taking the time to do it. Cause this stuff, uh, it does take time and isn't easy. Oh, uh, well, no worries at all, Joe. Uh, my pleasure. And uh, we'll, we'll connect in with you again real soon. Thanks for your time, uh, mate, and uh, happy flying. Thanks. I appreciate it. Uh, hope all your adventures go awesome. Cheers, man. Cheers, Joe. See ya. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind the scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.